0: Hey guys, it's Brian with the Dude What Movie Review Podcast. We're bringing you a fun side table about the film Knock at the Cabin, starring in front of the show Dave Bautista. M. Night Shyamalan film brought about a ton of movie discussion between Jim and I, and we decided to capture it all and release it as its own special. As per usual, with these side tables, it's completely spoiler-filled and goes off into many different tangents. There's a small language problem on this episode I wanted to let you know about. Nothing too crazy, so just sit back and enjoy. Are you not entertained?! Is this not why you're here? I just want to watch my movie. Oh, Jim, 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 Jim. Us and our little field trips. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to talk about this movie because there's a lot of fanfare behind it. Jim, have you seen Knock at the Cabin? Oh, wait, I already know the answer. Yes, you did. (laughs) Yes, yes, I did. (laughs) Man. M Night Shyamalan, friend of the show, Dave Batista. We had a lot of high hopes for this going into it. We did. We had uh, a weekend planned, so to speak. We had uh, some stuff come up, and I was invited to a thing. Don't know if we can talk about that. Yeah, not... we can. I, well, you know, eh, I mean, maybe. maybe eh. uh,
1: yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a good thing. We could talk about it. Just don't tell people where you got the tickets. We'll be all right. What tickets? What are you talking about? (laughs) Let you in through the back door. That's right. No, we had a big shindig. It was a fundraiser for a uh, a local organization here in Evansville. Mm -hmm. And um, they do a lot of work with trauma victims and things like that. Do a lot of counseling and stuff. And it was their big fundraiser. Right. They do every year called The Chocolate Affair.
0: Yeah. Hobnobbing with the rich elite of Evansville, my friend. Yeah.
1: And we tried to use it as an opportunity to network with, uh, you know, for Dude What, but we forgot our business cards that we don't have. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no one would take one. They would literally look at it and be like, Dude, what?
1: I was trying to write with one of the brownies
0: on the white tablecloth. But... <laughs> it's a good thing that we were getting fundraising for the mental health issues and everything that was going on there because you were just like a poster child that night, yeah. rubbing your brownies over yeah. the <laughs> walls and on the tables. Yeah. What is wrong yeah. with that guy? Anyway, we had, we, had derby, yeah, no. <laughs> we had fun with that, yeah we had fun with that, we did we did. and then afterwards, we were like, "Hey, man, we're not going to stay here all night for this thing. Let's cut out early, and if we cut out early, maybe, just maybe there'll be enough time for us to go check out and knock at the cabin and yeah. we we did we <laughs> we were able to make it, <laughs> we did, and you know, and here's the thing like
1: our wives got to come with us right you know kylie and i i don't know if you know we have a lot of children in our home what we'd never get a night out past like a couple hours right you know it's usually like okay we can go to dinner or oh we can go get a snack and then you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we go get an ice cream and then have to go home this is a full-on like adult night yeah i was like well hey we get to hobnob and get yeah. all dressed up at a fancy place mm-hmm. and have a couple drinks a couple drinkies lose the habit <laughs> and then we, uh, Uncle Dane. Uncle and then Dan. uh, yeah. Then we were like, let's go see Knock at the Cabin because yeah. it was opening weekend. Yes. Which I'm kind of excited to say that uh, I think our contribution it helped, did helped knock Avatar just all that of the did you Yeah, that?
0: seven weeks straight Avatar at the top. Got bumped out of the top spot by knock at the cabin pretty take, awesome
1: take that james cameron yeah uh,
0: take it oh god take it please you, yeah but I, I was really excited to see that i thought that was awesome we almost got in a fight oh god it and, was and, not it wasn't even that bad <laughs> look here's the thing ladies and gents all right here's the thing we're in the age now where you pick your seats at the movie theaters whenever you buy your tickets it's not like it was back in the day when you just get general admission tickets you go in and you have to find your seat in the dark no You have designated seats that you pick out when you go in. It's real simple. Now, if you're the type of people that go to the theater and you buy tickets for one set of seats and you realize, hey, no one else is in these other seats and they're a little bit better and you want to move to those, that's fine. But if the people who bought those seats end up showing up, don't give them an attitude whenever (laughs) they're like, hey, these are our seats. We paid for them. Just pick your crap up and move to the seats that you actually paid for. It's real simple.
1: And I will say, just make sure you handle like Brian did.
0: <laughs> I was pretty straightforward.
1: You, you were, and I mean, I'm sure this girl probably she didn't know what to do because she she had left to go get something, go to the bathroom, whatever, right. and came back, and her friend had moved her slushy right down down, a, and she came out and goes, "Did you move her?" Uh, and then and I'm kind of look at her like, oh, "Yeah," like I didn't say anything. Yeah. But Brian was like, "Yeah, we paid for these seats." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's, I mean, she kind of
0: stood there awkwardly for a minute and then I mean, shook her head and walked off. So there, I mean, I don't know what... Else, there was to say in this situation. It was yeah, like, I paid for these seats. I paid for these I seats? can show you my ticket stubs yeah. where I pointed it out on a screen and picked them out. I was kind of hoping
1: she was going to pull out her ticket stub and be that like, That would have well, been great. Because then we all would have got free tickets that night, right? We all oh, could yeah. went to the front Oh, well, if they hey, double sold
0: the seats, yeah. Hey, double book, AMC, you get free your, movies. Your
1: system's all jacked. You can it's do new movie tickets.
0: But that didn't happen. They moved over. They were kind of gruff. The one girl was kind of eh, yeah. whatever, but she quickly got over it whenever she realized there was no moving this middle aged guy. Right. Well, whatsoever. and then
1: and then Dave Batista was on the on the screen. So
0: well, yeah. I mean, I mean he got our back, right? <laughs> so let's actually talk about Knock at the Cabin, right? Okay. Like I said at the very beginning, Knock at the Cabin, M Night Shyamalan, Dave Batista, big hype train, very excited. We've been sharing all kinds of stuff on social media about it leading up to this. Jim Miller, we went and saw it together. Your initial thoughts? Go. Initial
1: thoughts. I was excited. I was excited for it because seen a lot of little uh, behind the scenes interviews with uh, M Night Shyamalan. Yep. You know Dave Batista, Like a lot of people, gave rave reviews about him. Right. Excited to see him. I know that we've talked about him a lot and. We joke around that he is friend of the show, Dave Batista, right? Because uh, he re- retweeted us once, you know. <laughs> he, did, he, did.
0: he responded, or <laughs> and and his PR once. person
1: retweeted us by accident. <laughs> yeah. uh, they were on a drunken binge, or something, probably. Yeah, but but whatever. <laughs> he had to have uh, <laughs> at
0: least listened to the trailer. He had to, <laughs>
1: right? But we we've talked about Dave Batista for a while, and his ability to just well, we were talking about off air actually, his ability to each role that he plays he brings something different to it right and he he's growing exponentially uh, better and better uh each role that he takes and so we were really excited i know i was excited to just see him in a in a lead role but yeah because he got
0: top billing on this i didn't realize that he had gotten top billing on this
1: so that's pretty exciting uh yeah he did and and then it, it being an m night Shyamalan movie i'm a huge fan of m night i know He's a hit or miss kind of director for a lot of people.
0: I don't think he's a hit or miss director. I think he's just hit or miss for the audiences that go to his films. That's I, a big distinction. Yes. Because to say he's a hit or miss director, that, that would say that he's not successful or he's only successful part of the time. And I don't I don't see that. I think he just has audiences that are kind of divisive on what their expectations of what an M. Night Shyamalan movie is gonna be.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think they look at it and they see like a the trailer and uh they go, Oh well, this is a horror. This is a right. horror movie. Or it's a thriller, uh, or yeah. there's going to be a twist, or there's going to be this, or there's going to be that. They don't take into account the fact that M. Night Shyamalan is a storyteller. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Like, he is a storyteller. Yeah. And, you know, we, we knock all the time on the fact that Hollywood, uh, and I know Stephen A. Turner, at times has talked about how Hollywood <laughs> has no new original ideas, right?
0: <laughs> He's not wrong a lot of
1: times. <laughs> like, it's just like, hey, we're going to remake this. It's been remade five other times. Right. I will say something about M. Night that I've always enjoyed is that. He usually doesn't succumb to that. Like he, it, no, it's a he no. has a, a fresh story, an original story. Yes, obviously we pull from life and we pull from history, we pull from all kinds of things to tell stories. But it's not like he's doing remakes. He's making fresh, new, right. original stuff.
0: M Night Shyamalan has one hundred percent success rate with regard to being comfortable with the work that he has put out. He is the type of person he's going to put out what he wants to put out and whether or not the audience fully is on board with it, it doesn't matter to him. It's all about his art and what he puts out there with regard to storytelling. You know, so you can't fault him for that. He has the balls to go and do what he wants to do. So that being said, what did you think about the film? (laughs) I enjoyed it. Okay.
1: But I don't know if it's because I like Dave Batista and I like M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> right. You know, because I, I could see where some people that had a knock on the film.
0: <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> That's
1: terrible. I know. But it, I've been seeing that, right? And usually M. Night Shyamalan movies are divisive. It's either they like him, they don't. You right. Know? And uh, I was seeing that there was already some divisiveness in, with this film. And I could see where some people would be a little miffed or a little upset.
0: Right. Before you go any further, should we go ahead and get one of these in here? Spoiler alert. (laughs) I mean, obviously it's a side table, so we're going to be talking heavy about the film, the story, the characters, and all that stuff. So be warned if you haven't seen Knock at the Cabin yet. Continue.
1: Dude, I love it. I loved it. And there are things I loved about it, and there are things I was kind of like, eh. I was a little frustrated, but probably not for the reasons other people be frustrated.
0: Okay, what you got?
1: Okay, so you know, as I'm watching the film, I'm going, okay, like because at first you're like, you know, what the heck are these people doing? Right, I mean, Dave Batista's presence walking through the woods, even the trailer, a little freaky, but like watching it and you see this sweet little girl, and then he's like kind of walking through, and and you're like, you know, you're like, okay, what's what's happening here, kind of thing. Uh, but with these four people showing up kind of early on, I began to realize. It was actually after the first death. Like, okay, these are the four horsemen. Right. Yes. Like, that realization hit me really early. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: to me, seeing that play out, and, you know, you have, you know, David Groff's character towards the end of the film when he actually verbalizes it and says it, that you have that out there. I mean, you get that vibe throughout the whole entire thing.
1: Yeah. And, And honestly, that's the only knock I have on it is that I wish he wouldn't have even mentioned that they were the four horsemen
0: okay gotcha
1: i wish it would have left it more just people that caught it caught it others that didn't didn't but
0: well i think it was good though that he does mention it because those who don't catch it who are those who don't piece that together that they are the four horsemen of the apocalypse because i think when people think of four horsemen of the apocalypse they're thinking doom and gloom and destruction and so you're thinking of malicious forces coming together to to destroy right and this is not that this is basically the harbingers of what is to come. And if you don't piece that together, having David Gross' character verbalize it there at the end, it kind of solidifies it when you understand you're like, oh, shit, okay. I get it now.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I yeah. think that's fair. I think because again, what we do, right. I sometimes forget that there is that from a normal everyday movie watcher, right? Like, but I and also dealing with spiritual things, I tend to like little right. you know things go off a little <laughs> yeah. more than than others. Anyway, right. what I really enjoyed about it was the fact that the way he decided to portray the four horsemen, You're, like you were saying, you don't think about it that way, yeah. Right, you think of it like basically they're angels or demon-type creatures that are bringing about pestilence and all these things, right? And you don't think about it as like, no, these are normal, everyday people. They were chosen for whatever reason to carry this message, and they didn't even know who the hell was going to be at the cabin. Right. Now, I will say this. Everybody has an opinion about uh, same-sex uh, marriages and things on screen, right? Whatever, screw you. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> dude, we can do a whole deep. Dive. Yeah, we could, we could we, and I watching, don't want to
0: watch a knock at the cabin and watching episodes of Last of Us on HBO Max, which I'm sure at some point we'll talk about that. Stay tuned to the feed for that down the road. But my God, my God, my God, yeah. how homophobic are we as a society? I, Jesus, but yeah, anyway, I don't,
1: I don't even want to go down no, that. We'll, that's mean, a whole that's a whole get other get thing. Yeah, um, I can get some of the thinking for some people. With like, oh, okay, well, you know, if so-and-so has an agenda, blah, blah, blah. This is not one of those movies. No. At all. It was a beautiful thing to watch, you know, a same-sex couple who have this child and using that within the storyline and folding that into the story. Yeah. Right? It was a, to me, it was a, it did right by the LGBTQ community. I think that. so. It was very respectful in the way that everything was done and and uh, showing these strong characters that, you know, it wasn't this stereotype that is so often perpetuated in Hollywood of being right. kind of the weaker or the extra feminine or, you know, the stereotypes that are typically. It's, it's the same way when we talk about uh, black cinema and those in, in cinema that for the longest time, you know, black Americans were portrayed as. Just being from the hood and all these things, where right. it's like there was not the respect given to them that was de- deserved. It's the same right. way with this. I feel like this film yeah. did a really good job of respecting and elevating that into the story, right, in a believable way and in uh, a way. Watching it, you should have much appreciation
0: for. Well, yeah, right. For I mean, well, I mean, it's portraying it the way that it's portrayed. It's humanizing it because they're humans, <laughs> yeah. and this these are stories that are told in real life. This idea of you know how people view. Homosexual couples, you know, there's a lot of really old, built-in ideals of what a gay couple is. Right. It's not that. If anything, it's boring because it's just a married couple. You know what I mean? That's all it is. It's just a couple. And they're living their life. And, And to show it... In a humanized way, because it is human. I think it it's not only important, but it's it's just good. It's yeah. just good to see because yeah. you're like these are just everyday people, yeah. And that's how they should be viewed, the everyday people, right? That same conversation with the everyday people that have been pegged, so to speak, to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I mean, just crazy, yeah. You know how that has come to be. I enjoyed the unveiling of how and why. Well, I mean, you don't get the why, but how these people were chosen right and how they were brought together yeah pretty crazy yeah what did you think about it?
1: well i and that's where it, it was funny because something i noticed within the storytelling that and it was a moment that clicked for me and i was like man he's just such a damn good storyteller right is the moment that i was having the thought of like as an audience member watching for the you know i was having this thought of like oh is this some suicide cult Right Is this thing rigged? Where they have the TV? Like I'm starting to have that thought of like, okay, is this like trying to? You know, first you're right. like, what's going on here? And then you're like, oh, these guys are just crazy people having those thoughts. And then as I'm having those thoughts, they address it in the film, right? You know, in and, and that moment, I'm like, <laughs> it you're was like, one of those moments. You're like, where you're is like M
0: night <laughs> sitting in the back behind me with a notepad. <laughs> but, yeah, it was what one of those on like
1: here? he the timing and the pacing of right. the story. It's like as an audience member, they would feel this way or they would think this way. It's almost and as, we're as gonna if we're going to go ahead and just answer ampl- it right now. Or it's least- almost
0: as if he went into it when, when he was writing it and putting it together from a pacing standpoint, like you said, he was writing it. I think from a viewpoint of being someone in the audience, it's like, at what point would I feel like, okay, this is what this is. This is what that is, you know, finding those beats within the story and then flipping it around on itself, yeah. you know, having the wherewithal, from a viewpoint of an audience member and saying, this is where it's going to happen. This is where that turn's going to come in their head. Let me flip it around and give you something different. Yeah. Yeah. He's very skilled. Yeah. He's very good.
1: That's that that moment there. I was like, okay, this is why I like you, (laughs) you know, this is one of the many reasons why I like you, but just overall, man, the cinematography man was great. And just even the way he would like do, do his shots and stuff. And I've always enjoyed the way he, he tells stories through film. Like he's very intentional with what he puts in a shot but he's also not afraid to use just the framing of a shot to make you as a viewer uncomfortable and unsettled. There's a lot of times I feel like, you know, with horror and stuff like that, a lot of it is, you know, they rely on jump scares, they rely on the terror, they yep. rely on the... That's something that Kylie was telling me about, because she was, she was kind of afraid to watch this. I've kind right. of found out it was because she... I think watched the trailer for Cabin in the Woods or something, <laughs> but it almost looked like a Blair Witch like knockoff, like remake, uh, yeah. like trailer or something. So she was like, "I don't want to see this." And I was like, "That's not the trailer." <laughs> uh, but then she she had commented on the way home. She's like, "I liked that he didn't really have a lot of gore. You know, it wasn't uh, they didn't well, have it to show it
0: wasn't necessary. Yeah, and that's he could was, have
1: absolutely. I mean,
0: if M Night was in the business of satiating." the bloodlust hunger of an everyday horror viewer, then yeah, he could have just went ahead and went full gore on this, yeah. but there was no need for it. Yeah.
1: That's another trait with M. Knight that he normally doesn't do that. Right. He understands the art of being able to tell a story with things that are not on the screen.
0: Well, I mean, you can tell so much with your story by just using sound. Yes. And so like the scenes where each member of the the four horsemen, so to speak were basically sacrificing themselves along this prophecy that you, you know, is played out. Yeah. You don't need to see it, but you can hear it. Yeah. And hearing it is enough it's, because you know what's happening. Yeah. You know how brutal it is.
1: Yeah. There's just so much that from an artistic standpoint, from a, a cinematography standpoint, a directing standpoint. Dude, I just thought it was great, you know. Like I said, with the way he frames a lot of his shots, it's very intentionally off-center. Right. It's not meeting the requirements of, you know, you have a person either center screen or one-third. It was just enough off to where if someone who wasn't, like, trained to frame up certain things, right? Yeah. If As a viewer, you're not going to recognize. You might be like, there's something just eerie or off about this scene. Right. But you wouldn't know necessarily why. And it's all because of where he had people standing and the placement of people. You know, those, those little things, for me... Like I'm looking at it from an artistic standpoint, and I'm just like, holy crap, man! Yeah. Like it's just he's a master at work, you right? Know, I've heard people refer to him before as like he's kind of the modern day Alfred Hitchcock in a lot of ways.
0: That's fair. That's more than fair,
1: you know, really. And, and so I think just because he he uses storytelling yeah. to well, that's I mean that was a play hallmark, to your psyche, right? That was a like
0: hallmark to, of Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, getting the most out of very little. To scare people, and you scare people the most with the things that are psychological. Yes. And you don't have to do a lot of visual stuff just to mess with people's heads. People will create the hysteria and the terror themselves. Right. You just got to lay the foundation. Right. That's it. You just got to put it out there. That's right. Yeah. What did you think about
1: it? Like, I I know we haven't even talked about our boy yet, but like... Oh, we're going to get to that here. I I feel like we will, but what were your thoughts?
0: I enjoyed it. I can see where other people would not enjoy it just from a pre-built-in expectation of what they think was going to happen in the film. But if you take away all expectation and just go into it and be like, okay, give me the story, what's going on here? There's a lot about the film that generates dialogue after the fact. I think that was the point of the film. Yes. That's the point of the film is to watch it and to create these questions to have the discussion after the fact, like what we're doing right now. Right. And because of that, when you go back in retrospect and you start thinking about aspects of the story, it gets you off on little tangents in your head about, well, what does this mean? And what does that mean? Or could this relate to this? Even just now, while we were talking, you know, you had mentioned like in the trailer, whenever you see Dave Batista, his character come in, is it Leonard, I believe is his yeah, name? Leonard. And you see yeah. Leonard walking in into focus with the little girl outside, and they're talking about uh, the grasshoppers and collecting them and everything. It just dawned on me. That any other time, that scene, in any other horror film, psychological thriller, whatever, he's a predator. Right. All right? That character is a predator.
1: Yeah. He's grooming whatever, yes. Right. Absolutely.
0: But in this film, he's not a predator. Right. He's an everyday human being, and the way that he talks to her isn't from a a grooming standpoint. It's from his training (laughs) as a second grade teacher. And so it's very pure. And it's very innocent in his approach with regard to the interaction with the little girl who was outstanding, by the way, the little girl was out. was Amazing. Absolutely. But to see that aspect, you know, again, that's another one of those things you don't pick up on until, you know, later or well after that. Like me, I just, it just dawned on me like, Hey, that's why it was shot the way that it was shot. That's why it was acted the way that it was acted. That's why it was framed the way it was framed. That's why even the color choice of his shirt. Right. Very innocent. Like, it's just a pure, you know, yeah. white,
1: yeah, yeah, just a pure yeah. uh, soul in I mean, that aspect.
0: And so, you know, thinking about that, and you think about the different aspects of the story where these people that are brought together for this task that they didn't ask for, they didn't want to be a part of, but yet here they are, they're in it now. Yeah. They're a part of this now. Yeah. So they have no choice but to go down this path, and you see their evolutions of, of each of the characters as it goes through. And then you see the interesting tie-in between Redmond, which we find out is not his name, right, and that he was actually the one who had assaulted one of the guys in the couple. Yeah. You know, in a bar fight or whatever years prior. And so seeing that, that correlation, that connection, it, it got me off on a tangent even today, thinking about it, it's like, okay, the four horsemen, they don't know why they were picked, but were they picked because of that incident? Especially him. Because Especially he was, him.
1: He's wearing and, and red. He was rage, passion. Right. You know, uh,
0: and so is his punishment having to carry out this task? And the reason why they didn't know it was them is because the universe chose this couple with this little girl yeah. because of that incident. And, and so in a way, there is some kind of message there. There is some kind of hidden meaning that's there, but we don't know though, because it's not addressed. Right. And it's up for us to talk it out after the fact. Right. And so, It's like, man, what a deep movie. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Way deeper than I expected it to be. Yeah.
1: I think that is why I'm drawn to M. Night Shyamalan a lot, just as a director, is because he's a creative storyteller. Yep. But his movies, from an entertainment standpoint, they can be, they're hit or miss. Right. Right. Like some are entertained and some are not. Well, I mean, Um, if if you're,
0: well, again, like I said, if your measuring stick is box office success or the talk at the water cooler after the fact... Yes, he's hit or miss.
1: Yes. And so just using this as an example, some of the the critique that I was seeing is this is a standard apocalyptic film, blah, blah, blah. It's like, how? It's absolutely not.
0: How is it a standard apocalyptic film? That's my, that's a great question. You get small (laughs) doses of what the apocalypse is, but it's not, it's not the focus of the movie. No. It comes down to (sighs) belief (laughs) is what it comes down to belief in a higher calling. Yeah. That's what the essence of the film comes down to. And then whether or not when you have differing opinions on a belief, whether or not you can find a coexistence in the middle. Yeah. That's what it comes down. To. That's yeah. what the story is. Yeah. The apocalypse is the backdrop. Right. And I think and that's it's a deep backdrop yes. with regard to this film.
1: Yes. And I think that's where so from a when I talk about an entertainment standpoint, I think that's where. You know, people want to be entertained, right? Right. We've we talked about this before. God, we've there's, had there's so many that,
0: discussions about this, Yeah, man. where
1: people, like, come and they, you know, they get upset because, oh, I had to think and I had to feel things. God. I had to actually be introspective. Right. It wasn't just entertaining. They didn't just spoon feed me the whole time. Right. It is entertaining from a storytelling standpoint. Yeah. But I could see where some might be like, oh, just okay, that's cool. Right. Like you said, no, it, everything in it is very intentional to have those conversations, to put yourself in that place. Like even as you were talking about Leonard, yeah, my immediate thought was Predator. Right. What does that say about me? <laughs> it's because we're conditioned to think that with <laughs> regard to cinema. Right. That's just, I mean, that's just... just an adult speaking to a child. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, so that there's a layer that... I didn't think about it until you were talking about it, right? You know, but it's just like, and then, whoa, what and does it, that tell me about judging, prejudging? Right.
0: Right? Exactly. Look at the go further. The the lady who's a nurse, you know, this idea of you've invaded our vacation home, you uh, basically assaulted me. How can I trust you to take care of me? Right. And so there's that dialogue between that, but you totally can because she is a nurse and yeah. she, you know, man, yeah, right. <laughs> Right, the, so like the different uh, so, layers, the different layers. So the question is, what what is this movie about? It's not about the apocalypse. No, I like I said, I I think it's about <laughs> it's about belief and whether or not when the calling comes, can you believe? And especially whenever you're in a situation where the circumstances are dire and those you care about differ with your belief, and there's some some tension there. I mean. M. Night did a great job using the quote-unquote flashback sequences to establish that there was already tension in this relationship. Right. They loved each other. They made a commitment to each other. So they're going to stick it out and do whatever. Right. But there's that differing uh, opinion, differing yeah. viewpoints there that almost every successful relationship has the yin and yang to it. Right. You know, not full-on polar opposites, but enough differences there to make you attract to yourself. Sure. Having that layer in there and then having that play into the current story, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal with regard to your storytelling and your pacing to show, okay, when the shit hits the fan, how do I find the strength to believe or how do I find the strength to stay with my conviction? And you see, which I misspoke earlier, I, I said it says David Groff is actually Jonathan Groff.
1: Oh, yeah. Is, oh, uh...
0: You know, his character, you see that throughout the film. There's little seeds being planted a long way of doubt of whether or not these people are the crazy people that his husband is making them out to be. Right. Because his husband is so steadfast with regard to being rooted in his own personal right. anger. Right. And so he's going to hold fast. as These people are crazy. They're here to hurt us, blah, blah, blah. They're this, that, and the other. They're everything under the sun except for what they say. Yeah. And so having his husband be like, Wait a minute, hold on. What's going on here? And then actually talking to him, wanting to know more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> dude, the more we talk about it, this, is another one of those films. Like <laughs> I left it and I had an opinion of it, but now that I talk about it more, I'm like, shit. There's so much more to this. There really is. Yeah, there really
1: is. When you, because re- I remember afterwards, you go, oh man, I wish we could go record because I have a lot to talk about. Right. But I, I'm glad we didn't. Probably a good thing. Yeah, because I, I, I. It's one of those that you have to let it marinate, and if you're going in and you're expected to be terrified and all of this, you're going to be disappointed.
0: You'll there, have, there are, you'll, there you'll are moments. Have, you'll have a couple of elements. You'll have elements of
1: that. There are definitely moments you're, where you're, yeah. you are uncomfortable and you're like, what is going on? But if you're looking for a horror, drag yourself to hell, kind of, it's, it's not. That's not his style anyway. No. He tells stories. There's a reason he's telling this story. And usually has to do with the human condition. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, I mean, every movie that he has ever put out that I've watched, that there's always that underlying, you know, hey, here's a story. But there's that underlying statement, or it, it forces you to wrestle with things about yourself, And things just about humanity in general. You know, some get upset because he uses uh, religious uh, overtones sometimes. But even that, he pulls from all the religions, not just one, you know, when he's telling those stories. Right. And it's just like, why? Because everyone kind of, whether they want to, you know, admit it or not, everyone has been affected by some sort of religion. Well, and let us... Like, it's it's in everyone's culture. Yeah. It's just different.
0: And let us not forget that, depending on your belief in the Bible some of the greatest collected stories ever if you are the type of person who doesn't have religion and don't believe in god or whatever you can't say that those aren't some of the greatest stories ever written because they are yeah if you do believe in that and you do hold faith in that then those stories teach you something and they you take something away from that yeah. so either way you can get something from it whether it be from a spiritual calling or just from an entertainment value.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, and, and not just Christianity. I mean, obviously in America, yeah, okay, there's a lot of, you know, that. But, I mean, same way with, you know, the Torah, with Judaism, right. with, yes. with Islam, yep. all of that. And and that's where I, I see M. Night pull from all of those religions, from Buddhism. He's not afraid to play in those areas no. where a lot of directors, they aren't. And I understand why, because at the end of the day, Hollywood's not going to pay you. <laughs> right. right. Right? Which is why M. Night Shyamalan... Has some big cojones. well, and because it, hes but, he stayed true to himself, and it's, except for that one time he did Last Airbender, and a lot of people hate him for it, and I get it, I don't know, I don't have a lot to <laughs> cause it's not like I was like, oh, you know, I don't know, but whatever but that's the only thing like he's really done that he's put out that is a, you know would be a franchise type you know
0: movie, yeah, well, you know it's funny, you know I saw a tweet earlier today someone had posted said uh you know for the record just going ahead and putting it out there unbreakable is the greatest superhero movie put out in the last 25 years and i was like i can't argue with that right right because <laughs> it's great it is it's great we've talked about that a number of times yeah. on this show it's it, a it's... fantastic movie and probably the highest underrated superhero film ever absolutely and it's great it's yeah. it's outstanding I don't know about glass, but uh, we'll move right. on. <laughs> that's a that's a conversation. <laughs> two two for out of three reason. is not bad. You know uh. that is fair. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, let's talk about our boy man. We got to, we got to. We hyped him up. He's our he's our dude. We love him here on the show. We're not making jokes at his expense. We're not doing any of that. We sincerely love Dave Batista here at the Dude What Movie Review Podcast. It is. So great seeing him on screen. I'm so glad he got top billing in this. I'm so glad he had so much of a presence and really is the DNA of this film. Yes. And I'll say this. I was interested to see the film for the film. Okay. But I was more interested to see what Dave Batista does on screen. If I'm being honest, that was my main motivating factor to go see this film. The fact that I enjoyed the film it was a bonus for me. Seeing Dave Bautista on screen was my main goal in this. And I wanted to see what he did just because of the, the small little interviews and things that I've seen leading up to it. I was not disappointed. Yeah, He is a presence on screen. I know we use that phrasing a lot. We used it for a number of different people. We've used it for Denzel. We've used it, I believe for Tom Cruise, Dustin Hoffman, Dave Bautista is a presence Yeah, and it's not just because of his size. It's because of what he does when he's on screen. And so much of it has a lot to do with just how he acts with his face, his emotion, how he pours it out. I really enjoyed him in this movie. He was so damn convincing as the everyday guy who is doing this because he firmly believes in it, but he does not want to be there. Right. He does not want to be there. And and, in every instance of friction, in every instance of, of any kind of elevated, heightened emotion, he's quick to try and check that and temper it just because he knows the situation is dire. Right. And he doesn't want it to be any more grave than it has to be. He's just there. It's almost as, I'm here for a job. I got to yeah. get this done. We have to do this. His
1: ability to play the gentle giant. Yes. And to do, like, and you're you're not wrong. I was, you were talking about just the The way he was able to convey things, even just through his face, and, and that's where I was, started thinking about M. Night and just the way he frames his shots. Yeah. And one of my biggest issues with one of M. Night's movies, The Happening, right. is Mark Wahlberg. Never say that again, <laughs> right? And I hate to even use him in this co- in this conversation, <laughs> but as you were but as you were saying this about D- Dave, our friend Dave. Yeah. Uh, I think that is where the happening failed the most because because, because Mark, Mark Wahlberg? Wahlberg cannot convey through his face. He only has a certain limit that he can go to. That he's gone. That's to. fair
0: from from a facial standpoint. Yes, and, and
1: just from an acting standpoint, I would. That's fair. Like I'm not going to say that he's he can't improve and be better. But I, I think, will
0: say this: I think Mark Wahlberg can do rage, yes. very well. Yeah, he has a face. <laughs> it sounds so mean to. Say, he has a face that you just want to punch. And so when he has when he has like a rage or an anger face, you believe it. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, his face look. He looks like someone who's pissed off. Yeah, and I. But I, as you were saying that, that's
1: what I'm thinking. I'm like, and we talk about how Dave Batista. We've seen him grow, right, as an actor. And this is one of those that, yeah, he was able to convey things that a lot of actors can't. Right, they just can't. And to me, that's a testament in and of itself to how good Dave is. I keep calling him Dave as He's he's our buddy, but like you know, but like, dude, like even the moment where where action was happening with him, yeah, in the shower, right, yeah, like that bathroom. I was like, you know, he's getting ready to pull out some uh, wrestling shit here. No, and the way he put his glasses back on and just ever just that yeah. whole that whole sequence, and it was one of these like, yeah, he regained his composure and he went back to
0: the, just dude. He, he played it very much the everyday guy. Yes. Could have very easily been like hitting the X button on your controller. Why, you you know, like where'd all this power come from? You know, like, you haven't displayed any of this. You know, you got all of a sudden you got superhuman ability. No, he's just a regular guy. Yeah. You know, man, Man. (laughs) I just love seeing him on screen. I, you know, we had seen a clip and you and I had talked about it. He wants to be one of those actors that is known for being able to do anything.
1: Yeah. The woman who cast me in Guardians of the Galaxy, her name is Sarah Finn, and I remember her speaking with such high regard about an actor named Lee Pace. And she said, she asked me if I knew Lee Pace, and I said, no, I had not met him. She said, Lee's amazing. Lee can do anything. And I can remember the way she said that with such confidence. And I want people to say that about me. I want people to speak to me in, in those regards. You know, Dave can do anything. And that's what I want to be in my legacy. Not an even specific character. I just want He's me.
0: there. Yeah, he he is. He's absolutely there. I don't have a problem seeing him do a multitude of different types of roles because I think he can handle it. Yeah, I think he can do it and he won't ever seem out of place. Yeah, And already in his young career, we've seen him do all a number of things. Yeah, we, you and I were talking about it the other day, all <laughs> the different films that we've seen him in, all you know, thus far. Knock at the Cabin, the most recent one here. Stuber. Yeah, hilarious in that. Played it well. Drax, obviously, in the Guardians of the Galaxy, great. Yeah. You know, we've seen him in Hotel Artemis, <laughs> very, very good role. And jody Foster, who was one of the stars in that, had nothing but high praise for him and the way he handled the acting and the way he handled the scenes in there. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, action Army of the Dead. We we've done a, a side table on that here. We'll probably link to that
1: Glass Onion recently. Glass Onion recently.
0: Yeah. Uh, Escape Plan with Sylvester Stallone. He had a great
1: role in that. We know he can do action.
0: We know he can do comedy. Now we know he can do drama. He can do action. He can do comedy. He can do drama. He can do suspense. He can do anything. Look, there's nothing that the guy can't do. Like he's already established that. Yeah, and he's only been doing this acting gig thing like full time seriously now for like what? Not even ten years. Yeah,
1: and here's something that stands out to me. That especially in the interviews and just just watching all of his the press and stuff up leading up to this past weekend, there's a humility about him,
0: dude. Dude is probably one of the most humble people I've ever seen.
1: Like, this is a lot. Like for for someone to be of his stature and of his expertise, if you will, and like right. you know his success that he carries with him a
0: humility yep. about him. Dude, that's hard to find. And talk about loyalty as well. I mean, you look back at all the stuff that went down with James Gunn whenever yeah. he was more or less canceled by Marvel and everyone was in an uproar about whether or not they were going to bring him back or not. Dave Bautista, he flat out said, he's like, hey, you don't bring him back as the director, I'm not coming back as Drax. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. He's like, that's the director. He's the one. He took a chance on me, bringing me in. Yeah. I If you don't bring him back, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. No more Drax. And he, and he was like, yeah. you know, whatever. He, he has the attitude of like, almost kind of like M. Night. And maybe yeah. that's why M. Night... And Dave Bautista works so well together on this film. It's like yeah. they're both not afraid to say what's on their mind and do what they want to do.
1: Well, and let's talk about Dave Bautista's trajectory from leaving the wrestling world. Right. I didn't watch him as a, like when he was in wrestling because I had gotten out of that phase.
0: I had like, seen some of his career.
1: But like knowing his story, right? Knowing, okay, The Rock was the one that kind of made the big splash. And he, he went hard with Hollywood. Well, the next, next up was supposed to be John Cena. John
0: Cena! <laughs> It's like you're begging me to
1: hate you. I know. Found a way to bring him in. Didn't mean
0: to. <laughs>
1: did not mean to. <laughs> but, yeah. like, when you right. like listen to interviews with Dave Batista when he talks about the reason why he left wrestling the way he did and he chose to go the acting route the way he did was because, you know, within the wrestling world, they groom you and prepare you to oh, you're going to be the guy that we're going to put in our movies right. to help make us some money. Right. Right? And so you're kind of still part of that template right. to follow. Yeah. And Dave is like, well, screw that. I want to act. And so he chose a different path. And there, there's a whole interview that he did in, I think it's Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Right. And he talks about that. So for him to to say, hey, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've made a hell a ton of money off of the uh, the Guardians franchise. Right. But you're not going to have me in the third one if you don't keep the director who's right. helped you make a hell of a ton of money right? off of this franchise.
0: Yeah. You know, that takes a set. You have to have a set. Yeah. I think someone like Dave Bautista, who in his 50s now, he's seen quite a bit of life already, you know, and especially going through the WWE career that he had, he saw the world because that's a machine. Yeah. All right. So he's seen... Everything in his life, he's seen everything in his wrestling life. There's not a lot under the sun that, you know, is going to shake him with right. regard to just life experience. Yeah. And so, yeah, he does have a set because he's seen enough stuff to right. know, you know, this is where I can make my stand. and This is where I can't make my stand. My future be damned on this, but I'm not. This is my principle and I'm right. going to hold fast to that. On my
1: conviction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You can only tip your hat to that. You know what I mean? Because it's like, hey, man, you made that decision. You're sticking with it. So right. and it worked out, though. Yeah, it worked out because I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I don't want to go off on a side thing. You know, I'll just address it real quick. But I mean, the James Gunn thing. I mean, come on. It was like tweets and jokes that he had made like 10 years prior. They right. were so I mean, it it is what it is. Right. And to cancel somebody that far after the fact over something so silly and insignificant. It, to me, it's like, OK, are we saying that people don't make mistakes? Right. And people not allowed to forgive themselves for mistakes or jokes or whatever that they've done and move forward.
1: Right. Have opinions ten yeah. years ago and it's changed. Right. Yeah. Look,
0: here we are. That's another rabbit hole. Yes. To jump we're not down. going. We're, we're, we're not going to do, go down that. But... We'll
1: do our own little soapboxes on the side
0: here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, because I don't want to <laughs> edit it. <laughs> but back to knock at the cabin. Yeah. Dave Bautista' screen presence really nailed it. I won't say I was surprised because I expected it. Sure. You know, sure. I expected him to have a presence. I think what blew me away was the fact that he's just adding more tools to his arsenal, man. Yeah. That's all he's doing. Yeah. He's just he's adding more tools to the tool belt. He's got so many tricks of the trade now that he can dive into and use for success on future projects. I, I've been saying he's getting better with each role. He's not getting better. He's just fine-tuning what's already there. Right. It's fantastic.
1: Oh, it is. And I mean, the, the rest of the cast, man, as well, they, they did a really great job. I yeah. think, you know, Dave Batista being the anchor kind of of that. And um, yeah, Jonathan Groff, like. Love dude. me
0: some Jonathan Groff. Still waiting for Mindhunters to come back.
1: <laughs> Probably going to be waiting a while. <laughs> the little girl, I think her name is uh, Kristen Cooey, I think. I believe so. Dude, like, so <laughs> all of them did so well. Yep. And this is one of those films that, for the most part, it takes place in one setting. Yeah. So when you do things like that, like Reservoir Dogs is a great example of a movie like that. Right. When you do movies like that, you have to rely on dialogue. Heavily on dialogue. Big time. Yep. But there was a lot of stuff. There was no dialogue. And, and the way they decided to end it, dude, Look how freaking little bow on the top beautiful right. was that? Yeah. It's this moment of like your daddy sacrificed himself. Yep. And it's not lost on her, right, and not at all, yeah, for her age it's it's not lost on her, she understands and and so you see where like the whole scene, man, and yep. you see where even her other daddy, yeah, is pissed about the fact that he's lost his lover his 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 spouse, right. right. Like you can even see that it
0: becomes not lost on him through her eyes, through her. So it was one of those because he was thinking from his vantage point, right? The whole the whole entire time, it's always how I feel, what I think, this is what we need to do from my vantage point, blah blah blah. But as that scene unfolds, you see the shift where it's it's no longer about him, right?
1: Just him, and he realizes, wait, you didn't sacrifice yourself for everybody else; you sacrificed yourself. For this little girl next to me. Right. And, dude, I mean, just a beautiful scene.
0: No words were spoken. Didn't need to. You didn't need to. No words were spoken.
1: Right. And it's just one of those, like, I don't know. You have a master storyteller. You have a great cast. Great script. People that are shitting on it piss off. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Look, man, here's the thing. Like, just again... It's all about expectation, man. Yeah. And I know some people would kind of poo-poo that and be like, well, this is what I wanted. This is what, ugh. It's like, don't get hung up on what you want. Yeah. F- focus on what you have. Yeah. And what's there. Yeah. Judge it based on its merit. Yeah. If you have a certain expectation of a film or a show or something that you want, go watch that. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, if you go into a show thinking it's going to be like Breaking Bad, just go watch Breaking Bad again. Yeah. Don't go into it thinking this is going to be the second part of Breaking Bad. Right, no. Right. Just go watch Breaking Bad if that's what you want, yeah. because this is something different. Same thing with this movie. It's an M. Night Shyamalan film. That doesn't mean anything. That that literally means nothing. You can change his name to uh, Joe Blanford. It doesn't matter. Right. This is a film. Yeah. So go into it judging the film for what it is is it m night's job to do the same cookie cutter film every single time because that's what you expect is it steven spielberg's you know job to do a cookie cutter film every single time is it james cameron uh, we don't even care about yeah. him yeah. But anyway, <laughs> who, who's that? No. James, who <laughs> point being is go into the film without any expectation and be surprised by what the story that you were given right. is. That's what I went into this thinking, because I could see where a lot of people would be pissed off about the ending. Because, you know, let's talk about the ending a little bit, Yeah. because I think everyone was expecting a twist because it is M. Night Shyamalan. But right. the truth of the matter is, this was a straightforward story. There was, was no a, twist. It, there was no twist. You don't need a twist. Yeah. If if you want to say that there was a twist, the twist is Jonathan Groff's character having the realization that all this was real. Right. That's the twist. Right. Opening up and being like, okay, I believe now. You know, it's kind of like a reverse thing of like, of going to religion. Yep. (laughs) You know, it's like, I've let religion into my heart. I let this into my being. Right. I understand now what has to be done. Right. To save how many people. Here's the twist
1: is that there was no twist. Right, because right. people go expecting a twist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there was no twist. And he was like, "You know what? We're not doing that. We don't need to. You did, and you didn't need to. You
0: didn't. You like, didn't need it, to. the
1: story. Didn't lend itself to that.
0: I, I love the choices that Dave Batista made in his final scene. And I love the choices that M Night Shyamalan made with regard to, like you were talking about you know, staging the cameras, what shots to do, not having to see the gratuitiveness, just need to hear it. Yes. But the choices that specifically that Dave Bautista made in how he handled that approach and in the dialogue was just so good because the dialogue with regard to, he has this one line where he's like, my friends, my new friends. And when you think about it now, in regard to that character, Leonard's character, second grade teacher, I mean, no malice, no hate in his heart. Always caring, always kind, always welcoming, even though he knows that because of their choices and their actions, it has doomed him, yeah, but that's okay because he's he still has hope that even after that they still have time to do yeah. it right the right thing, yeah. And just the, the the way the way he handled the scene, man. Dude, that
1: whole scene, the way yeah. it was framed and shot, like you see her like going into the club, treehouse, pal, the treehouse. Yeah, dude. And they that played
0: just... that whole scene. That was one-er. It was a one it was a one shot, you know. One and they shot, kept going, yeah. like have her go all the way out there, and they kept her in frame. Yeah. But then you see the camera slowly come in, <sighs> dude. Yeah. That that piece of cinematography was stellar, absolutely. outstanding,
1: absolutely. It was. I thought it was great, man. I,
0: I even loved the 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 way they did the planes. Usually, whenever you see like an apocalyptic thing, you see planes. It's like, yeah, this long drawn thing. No, these planes literally fell out of the sky, right? As it was prophesized yeah. with the the things that Dave Batista was saying. Yeah, you know, Leonard laid it out. Well, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, and then you see it slowly play out, and then the way that the planes fell from the sky, like you talked about certain camera angles kind of setting you on edge, something slightly disturbing. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. not a big thing, but it's it's just enough. The yeah. way those planes that they had them fall out of the sky, there was something very eerie and disturbing about how they fell. It was like very unnatural to how planes would go yeah. from the sky to the earth. Right. You know, because it goes against the grain of what your anticipation of how a plane crash is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so just the way that it was shot, the way it was presented you know, using like news footage or whatever and everything all dude, it was crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And then the little touch at the end in the diner with the waitress calling, I think it was her mom saying that she loves her and that she's, everything's going to be okay. Just little, little nuances that are thrown in here and there. Awesome. Yeah.
1: I thought it was great. I thought it was great, man. And I, I have nothing really to bag on it. Really. You know, As you're you're talking. Here we go. Here we go. I was thinking, here's the twist. You want a twist. Here's the twist. You'll appreciate this. Oh, God. Here's the twist. The world was saved by a gay man.
0: (laughs) Yes, it was. That's the twist. Right? That's the twist. Suck on that, Republicans.
1: <laughs> I, I'm
0: Republican or not, I'm just saying, like like you,
1: looking from a religious standpoint, right? Right. Let's just talk about that for a second. There's your twist. <laughs> it's true. I mean that's not what you're expecting.
0: You aren't, yeah. No one expecting <laughs> So
1: I it just So in a way, yeah, there was a twist. There was, yeah. It just wasn't uh <laughs> the stereo stereotype that you, you would expect from M. 9 But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that's <laughs> true though it's so true yeah here's the thing if you're gonna be a person that complains that Hollywood doesn't put anything new out right and then you go and bag on movies like this
0: just shut up just shut up yeah no. I mean because ultimately what you're saying is you don't want something new right you want regurgitated same stuff that you've you always an had you want Avatar 7 <laughs> no, no right Jim Let me. nobody wants that Jim let me <laughs> just go ahead and say right nobody wants Avatar yeah. 7 yeah, people, no be, even no. the people who say they yeah. want Avatar 7, yeah, they they're don't. saying it under duress. Right. They don't want it. It's James, James Cameron. Cameron. No means no. James, Ca- <laughs> James Cameron holding a gun. <laughs> you want Avatar 28, don't you? <laughs> no means no. Wow. That escalated quickly.